Amen. This morning we look at the second chapter of the Gospel of John and we look at the first miracle that Jesus performed in his earthly ministry. The writer of the Gospel of John called the works of Jesus that were supernatural or miraculous, called them signs. He wrote at the end of the Gospel that though he had included in his Gospel many signs, there were many more that Jesus did. But he writes about the ones that are in his Gospel so that we might believe that Jesus is God and that in believing we would have life in his name. Folks, I want you to know this morning an important part of what I believe the Holy Spirit has for us is that we need to embrace this idea that Jesus still works miracles today. And we can see them and experience them on a daily basis. These I have written so that you might believe that Jesus is God. And that in believing you might have life. I acknowledge and recognize this morning that there are some here who do not believe. I want to say a word to you if I can. I'm really, really glad that you're here today. You're welcome here. I hope that you're here because you're seeking what is the truth. I want you to know this morning that I can't reveal that to you. There was an occasion when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up and he said, you're the son of God, the promised Messiah. Jesus said to him, Peter, man didn't reveal that to you. Only God can reveal that to you. And that is true still today. That if you are to understand and believe that Jesus is God and, believe, and in believing have life, then that is something that God must reveal to you. Oftentimes in the Gospel accounts, we see Jesus saying, He who has ears, let him hear. And so my prayer for you and a prayer I would encourage you to pray for yourself, those who don't believe. God, give me ears to hear. Not the preacher, but you. You reveal to me your truth. There are far more here this morning who do believe that Jesus is God. I want you to consider this morning, to evaluate this morning, to ask yourself the question this morning, What exactly does that mean to you? What does it mean to you, really, that you believe that Jesus is God? The Bible tells us from the beginning of time that God created us in His image. But would you consider with me this morning that also from the beginning of time, we kind of want to create God in our image. We, we want to shape God. We want God to be who we want Him to be. We want to put God in, a, in, in our own box that we have created. The God that I know is real, the God that I know loves, the God that I know is involved in my life, this is how He is to treat me. Sometimes, This is manifested in our life. Sometimes we hear this come out in our conversation. You might 
hear something like this. You're going through a difficult situation and you say, where was God in that situation? Maybe you're called to serve and you say, well, my God understands. He understands my schedule. He understands my busy. I'm busy. He understands my priorities. I don't really have time to serve. And that's fine with God. God understands. Maybe you're called to give. My God understands. You have a need. You pray and you ask God to meet it. He gives us instructions of what to do in His Word, but, but our response often is, God understands my financial situation. God understands I can't afford to give. God loves me. God, God, God's, God's okay with me not doing that. That's, that's shaping God. That's molding God. That's putting God into a box that we have created. You're called to come on Sunday morning and, and worship. God understands that I need family time, and so it's such a beautiful day, and we're just going to go to the beach today because God wants that for me. He wants me to spend time with my family. That's, that's a priority to Him. It says it in His Word. And what we're doing is we're taking God and we're kind of molding Him and shaping Him and placing Him within a box that we have created, and we won't let Him outside of that box. Here's something that I hear all of the time. God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. Really? God wouldn't want me to stay in this job. Sometimes we use God. This might be an extreme, but you've got to get this point, and we've got to identify these things in our own lives. This might be an extreme. Though I've heard it before, sometimes we use the God that we've placed in a box to justify something like adultery. God wants me to be happy. God knows I love her. God knows I love him. God says, you know, I, I just I feel in my spirit that this is okay. That's how we shape God, how we put God in a box. God wouldn't want me to stay in this marriage. God wants me to be happy. Really. That's not what he teaches us. Since the beginning of time, God created man in his image. Since the beginning of time, we've been creating God in our image. We want God to be who we want him to be. We want to place him in a box, and we're going to determine the dimensions of that box. Arthur read a passage of Scripture from Hebrews earlier in the service. Here's the reality, folks. God is an all-consuming fire. He is God. He is not the respecter of persons. We are to come before Him with awe and reverence. We can't shape and mold Him. He is who He is. He is God. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, authority all power in his hands he's God he does anything that he wants to do he loves us he involves himself in our lives he gives us blueprints to live by 
when we come before Him in awe and in reverence, when we acknowledge that He is who He is, that He wants what's best for us, we follow Him so that we can experience His best in our lives. You can't put Him in a box. You can't make Him into who you want Him to be. God wants you to experience His joy regardless of His circumstances, and He gives us a blueprint of how we might experience that in our lives. He knows better than you how to experience that. I see this message in the Gospel of John in the second chapter. We know it is the first miracle. We know it is Jesus turning water into wine. But I think that, that, that there's so much more than that here. If you're just going to read it, I, I believe you're going to miss out. I think we need to say, Holy Spirit, reveal to us your truth through this very simple story. This reality that took place. What can we learn from that? John chapter 2. Let me read just the first couple of verses to you. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day... Well, let's stop there. God's a God of order. Jesus only did what God told Him to do. He went where God told Him to go. He said what God told him to say. He healed when God told him to heal. He didn't heal when God told him not to heal. He's a God of order. This third day here in the context of the passage that we have been studying for the last three or four weeks now, we know that it's the third day since Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus. We could go back and look at the first week of Jesus' life, day one, in the Gospel of John, we see John the Baptist is confronted by the religious leaders of the day. Who are you, they asked him. In day two, John the Baptist proclaims, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In day three, John and Andrew, John the disciple and Andrew, they come to Jesus and they begin to follow Him. And Andrew goes and gets his brother Simon and brings Simon to Jesus and Jesus has an encounter with Simon and changes his name to Peter. In day four, Jesus finds Philip. Has an encounter with Philip. Philip cannot contain himself. He goes and he finds his friend Nathaniel and he brings Nathaniel to Jesus. Days five and six, the Bible explains to us that Jesus and those who were following him made their way from that area next to the Jordan River to the, uh, up northwest to Cana. Cana is about 10 miles northwest of Jerusalem. doesn't exist today. There's ruins there today. Not Jerusalem. Nazareth. About 10 miles northwest of Nazareth, which is where Jesus was raised, you know. Maybe, maybe on the way to Cana, they stopped at Jesus' house, and maybe they spent the night there. Days 5 and 6 were traveling days for them, and day 7 was this wedding that we see in the gospel. And so when it says on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. There's so much here. Let's let's ask the Holy Spirit to to, to teach us and speak to us. I, I don't want us to meet, meet uh, to miss the obvious. Jesus went to a wedding. Jesus went to a party. It was a time for Him to relax. It was a time of fellowship. It was a, it was a time of fun. 
I, I believe that Jesus' appearance and participation in this wedding was a way for him to show his approval, his his ordination, if you will, of this institution that we call marriage today. Marriage or the family is the first of three institutions ordained or approved by God. The family is the first institution approved by God. I believe Jesus' presence and participation was one of the ways that He was saying, this is good. Weddings were very, very important in this culture. They were important in our own experience with Jesus. Many times in Scripture we see weddings drawing us a picture of our relationship with Jesus, the bridegroom and the church, His bride. As a matter of fact, I, I would tell you that the first thing that we're going to do together when Jesus makes everything the way He always intended it to be, is have a wedding feast. And we'll attend a wedding with the bridegroom, Jesus. Don't miss the obvious. You might say to yourself, well, you know, Jesus only had three years to turn the world upside down. And here He is at a wedding. You know, Come on, we got stuff to do. Well, let's look at the first seven weeks. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads him out into the desert and wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights. He, he fasts and prays. Then the enemy comes and tempts him. After that temptation, he makes his way back to that place in the Jordan River where John the Baptist sees him and proclaims him the Lamb of God. He calls to himself some followers, some disciples, those who would be his students, those who he would teach. He travels up to Cana. I think it was time for a little fun, a little party, a little relaxation. And we go on in verses 3 through 5. When the wine ran out at the party, by, by the way, uh, these weddings in this culture sometimes lasted for a week. How's that sound? And back then, the groom's family paid for it. How's that sound? <laughs> well, they were having this wedding and they were at the reception. There's, there's the betrothal and then there's the, the bridegroom coming and, and getting his bride and there's the, the actual wedding ceremony and then they travel back to the groom's house where the groom and, the, and, and the, the bride and the bridegroom will live and they begin to have this reception and sometimes these receptions can go on for days and days. Verse 3 says, When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to his servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, I, I find this to be an interesting interaction, an interesting conversation between Jesus and his mother. First, uh, I, I want to tell you that, that, that it may sound a little harsh, but I don't think it's that way at all. Jesus says to his mother, Woman, but woman was a, a term of endearment then in that culture. The same word is used when we see Jesus hanging on a cross. And in a very tender way, He looks down at His mom and He says, Woman, behold thy son. 
as if to say, hey, Mom, I know this is hard, but this is why I came. This is my purpose. I believe that when he calls her woman here in the second chapter of John, it's a, it's a term of endearment. He says, woman, what does this have to do with me? Let, let me explain to you what he's saying to his mom. He's saying, listen, I, I, I know they're out of wine, but you and I, we, we have different ideas. We have different perspectives. We have different priorities. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she knew who Jesus was. She knew what His capabilities were. The Son of God was sitting right there at the wedding. Why not approach the Son of God and in a way that we ourselves pray, say, hey God, fix this. I have a need. You're the Son of God. Meet the need. That's how we pray. I think that that's kind of the mindset of Mary initially until Jesus responds to her. Jesus says, look, we just don't think the same way. Jesus was well aware of the situation. He was well aware of the need. He was well aware of His capability, His ability to take care of the need. And Jesus will always move according to His purposes. According to what He wants to accomplish. And it's as if in that exchange, Mary gets it. The light comes on in her mind. And, and, and her response is to the servants there. He, she just says, you know what? Just do whatever He tells you to do. It's as if Mary goes, I'm going to just trust Him in this situation. I'm going to give this to Him. I'm putting the ball in His court. I'm surrendered wholly to Him. This is His deal. I'm going to trust Him. Folks, there's not a person in this room who hasn't been in that situation. Maybe you're in it right now. Hey, Son of God, here's my need. Meet my need. And then we put in there, I'll give you the glory. Jesus might be saying to you, your priorities aren't my priorities. Your ideas aren't my ideas. Your reasoning's not my reasoning. We're thinking, we're thinking totally different here. I'm going to move. I love you. I'm involved in your life. But I'm going to move according to my purposes. And we need to come to a place where we say, you know what? I'm going to trust Him. And then we see the miracle in verses 6-8. through eight. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Did you get that? 120 to 180 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. Here's the miracle. Let's look at some things about this miracle. I think it's interesting and I don't want us to just skip past this seemingly unimportant part that Jesus says to the servants, fill them up with water. Jesus is fixing to do the supernatural. Jesus is fixing to do the miraculous. 
I want you to know that almost always when we see in Scripture and what my personal experience has been, and many could stand and testify that their experience is the same, is that when Jesus does the supernatural, most always He involves you. That He calls you. You say to Him, Jesus, you want to use me today, I'm available. And He smiles. Because He's fixing to do the supernatural. He's fixing to do the unexplainable. He's fixing to change something. And He wants to use you in that process. And He turns water into wine. It's important for us to understand that wine was, a, was more than just a beverage in that culture. It represented something. We see it throughout Scripture. There's a connection between wine and joy. It's represented that way. We see it here at this celebration. The water, here's the, here's the miracle. Here's, the, here's what Jesus had in mind. Here's the transformation. Here's the change. Here's the miracle. This has to do with why He performed this miracle. The water in this miracle represents the law of Moses as we read in the first chapter of John. The law comes from Moses. It represents religion. It represents ritual practices. But Jesus wants to take religion and He wants to do something supernatural and He wants to do something miraculous. And He changes it into wine which represents grace and joy. He takes religion and He changes it into a relationship. He still works miracles today. He came to change religion to relationship. He came to change bondage to to freedom in Him. Why? Why did He do this miracle at this place at, at this time? Jesus always has a purpose. In the Gospel of John, as we work our way through, we'll see seven different signs or miracles that Jesus performed, and every one has a purpose. He shows His authority when He calms the storm. His authority over nature. He is God. He shows His power when He creates enough food to feed 5,000 men and plus women and children. He shows both His power and His authority when He raises a dead man to life. And here in this miracle at Cana at the wedding reception, He shows us His power to change lives. Water to wine. Religion to relationship. Bondage to freedom. Death to life. Do you believe that He can do that in lives today? Do you believe that He can do that? Do you believe that just before He gets ready to do this supernatural, this unexplainable, that He calls you and He wants to use you in that process? Do you believe that there are people in in your sphere of influence, in your world, in your daily business, in your interaction, people that you see on a regular basis, who desperately need a miracle like this in their life. They need to be changed. They need to understand that it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. They need to understand that Christianity is not about bondage to rules. It's about freedom in Christ. And God can do that miracle. And He calls you. He, you know, he says to you, hey, 
pour the water in the jars. By the way, there's plenty. 180 gallons. Not too much for him. Verses 9 and 10. When the master of the feast tasted the water had now become wine and did not know where it came from, the humility of Jesus. Though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Oh, you're going to know. When he changes a life, you're going to know. You're going to know that was a miracle. You're going to know that Jesus did that. You didn't do that. The servants didn't do that. Jesus calls you to be a servant. You see the miracle. There will be some who don't understand, but you'll understand. The master of the feasts called the bridegroom and he said to him, everyone serves the good wine first when people people have drunk freely. Then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. Because Jesus saves the best for last. He's a miraculous Jesus. Verse 11, here's His purpose. This is the first of His signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested His glory. His glory was seen really by those servants, by those who were following Him, those who were His disciples. And it says here in the Bible, and His disciples believed in Him. These signs have I written so that you might believe Jesus is God and in believing you might have life. I believe that as we make ourselves available, as we allow God to use us to do the supernatural in other people's lives, we grow in our faith. Man, He becomes more real to us. Why did Jesus do this miracle? I don't think this is a stretch. Maybe it's because He knew that 2,000 years later, a poor excuse for a preacher would need to say to a group of people who live in an affluent part of southeast Orlando, you're the jars. You're the jars in this miracle. Some are empty. Some are full of water that desperately need to be turned into wine. You're the jars. Some are empty. Some have no religion. It's not religion, you know. They're just not interested. Oh, I pray. If you're here this morning, I'm glad you're here. You're in the right place. And I, along with so many others, are praying that God would reveal His truth to you. So many more in this room are the jars that are filled with water. That's religion. Some of you are here this morning because of religion. You're here this morning because you know it's important that you touch that religious base in your life. You're living under the law. You're living under bondage. And Jesus wants to turn that into joy. He wants to turn that into relationship. So many of you here this morning and you're, you're, you're the jar and you're full of water and, and, and you yourself have looked toward heaven and you have said to God, I have a need, come and meet this need. But it's not until that water becomes the joy of wine that becomes the freedom from bondage 
that we can open up our eyes and see that God's ways are not our ways and that God is going to work His purpose and not our purpose. God wants to do a miracle in your life. So here's the question this morning. This can be life-changing for you. Are you going to leave here this morning wanting to make Jesus into who you want Him to be? Or will you let Him do a miracle and make you into who He wants you to be? Let me invite you to stand. Father God, thank You. I love Your Word. I love Your Word. And Lord, it becomes apparent to me that Your Word is not just a book, but it's, it's the living Word. It's alive. I know that is true because as I begin to read and begin to, begin to ponder and begin to study and begin to meditate, it is Your Holy Spirit who comes and reveals Your truth to us and I think You have done it with great clarity in this very simple and familiar passage where we see Jesus' first miracle at Cana. And Lord, maybe in the past we have seen that and we have, we, we have learned that, that Jesus is God and, and that Jesus has power to change things. But Lord, maybe for the first time this morning we see ourselves as jars some here, the jar's empty. They desperately need You to fill. Some here, the jar is water. It's bondage. It's religion. It's ritual. It's the same old, same old, same old. And we need Your miracle. We need Your supernatural involvement. We need You to change that water into wine. We need You to change that water into relationship, into joy, into freedom, into intimacy. Lord, You know every single person in this room. And You know what their jar <laughs> contains. Reveal that to them as only You can. Call us to Yourself. Reveal to us Your desire to do a miracle in our lives. Give us boldness to follow You. Give us boldness to surrender. Lord, when the light comes on, when the water is turned to wine, the way we approach You changes. The way we ask You to meet needs changes. And so many of us need to experience that together this morning. And so, Lord, move among Your people. Reveal Yourself. Draw people to Yourself. Give us boldness to follow You. Lord, give us courage to surrender wholly to You and to Your way. I ask that You do that at this moment in the lives of Your people as I pray this prayer in Your name. Guys, if y'all would lead us in a time of worship. Oh.